and welcome to the 509th episode of Travel It Radio. Dan Schlossberg is your host, and I'm your co-host, Mary Ellen Nugent Lee. We're in the 12th season of Travel It Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel It's Radio. And tonight, we proudly proudly present Meet Boston to talk about the 4th of July celebrations in this historic city. Dan, will you welcome Dave to Travel It's Radio? And our guest is David O'Donnell, Vice President of Strategic Communications from Meet Boston. Welcome, Dave. So glad to have you. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. The last time we talked about Boston on Travel Itch Radio, the topic was the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. This time around, it's going to be your lively July 4th in Beantown. Would you say July 4th weekend is the biggest event on your social calendar? I would say yes. It's right up there. I mean, it's, it's such an iconic anniversary and, and, and festival for us, you know. Harbor Fest, which is kind of the backdrop and kind of the moniker we use to describe our Fourth of July celebrations. Harbor Fest has been around for over four decades now, um, and you know it's really a celebration and commemoration of our maritime history, our revolutionary history, but also contemporary Boston. You know, there's there's great diversity of of acts and, and music and artisan markets and whatnot. And you know, our, our calendar annually is is full of and iconic we hear the visitor-oriented events. Festivities start at the end of June with Harborfest and run through July 4th. What can listeners traveling to Boston for this national patriotic holiday expect? Well, sure. So, yes, it does, it does kick off on June 30th. Harborfest is typically about a four- or five-day festival, which is great. And it starts in Downtown Crossing on June 30th at noon. That's where the kickoff is. And Downtown Crossing, uh, which is about maybe half a mile or so from the waterfront, so you can see, Dan, it's become more than just a harborfront maritime history. It really goes into downtown Boston as well. And downtown Boston is in many ways the epicenter of where a lot of the speeches and orations and musical acts and fife and drums and dance acts and the downtown crossing market. Uh, Macy's is always very involved. That all occurs in the downtown crossing area. But, you know, as you get closer to the waterfront in the Faneuil Hall area, there are events uh, in the Christopher Columbus Park area. There are also concerts and festivals. That's also a great area for folks to see. Uh, the fireworks that, that happen. And one thing that's great about Boston Harbor Fest is that we don't only have one, one set of fireworks occurring on the 4th of July. Yes, we have that as part of the Pops Fireworks Spectacular, but we also have uh, July 1st harbor, uh, fireworks over the harbor. You know, so it's, 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 it's a twofer for us here in Boston. We've got the fireworks over the harbor on the 1st, and then, of course, as we culminate on the 4th, we have the, uh, the fireworks on the Charles River as part of the Pops Fireworks Spectacular. Harborfest claims to be the country's largest Fourth of July festival. Where do all the activities take place? So it really is spread throughout. So it's from the, the Charles River Esplanade area, right into the downtown crossing area, down into the seaport area now. Um, certainly the North End is involved, the Faneuil Hall Marketplace. It's really any area that 
is water adjacent or next to one of those neighborhoods. Um, and, you know, as I was saying a bit earlier, it really is one of our great festivals. You know, we have so many in Boston, right? We've got the, the Boston Marathon. We've got the Head of the Charles Regatta. We've got First Night, which started in Boston. But this one really is such a driver of visitor activity. And to your question, Dan, you know, that activity really does spread throughout all of the downtown back bay and, and waterfront neighborhoods of Boston. At Travelwitch Radio, one of our favorite slogans is, if it's free, it's for me. So what are some of the free <laughs> Harbor Fest activities families can enjoy? It almost all is free, Dan. I mean, certainly there are, you know, guided tours and whatnot that you can pay for, you know, with the Freedom Trail Foundation and, and, and examples such as that, Boston by Foot examples such as that. But when you talk about, you know, the musical acts and the opening ceremony and the fireworks and, and the fife and drum and, you know, the events on, on, on the Greenway, that's all open and accessible to all. So there's, it, it really consists of dozens and dozens of free and accessible, family-friendly, but really for, really for any type of traveler or local, right? Like this is a big draw of both local and regional audiences, but it's also a national and international draw. So one thing we're very, very proud of is that access, and nothing, uh, nothing creates access more than, than price or lack thereof. So the dozens and dozens of events that are free are really a hallmark of the, of the Harbor Fest celebration for sure. And what is the Summer Street Market? Is that a free event? It is. It is. I mean, there's, there's artists and uh, uh, tents and wares for sale, certainly. But that's part of the downtown crossing uh, market that really, again, is, is sort of an epicenter of activity. Um, the downtown crossing area, really for about five years now, has, has embraced a leading role for putting on um, activities and activations a um, lot of music down there as well. So people can stroll it and take it all in absolutely for free. But if they see something at one of those local vendors that they think, you know, what a, what a great souvenir or, or piece of Boston to bring home with me, you know, there's certainly things for purchase. But, again, in terms of just access and enjoying that activation, uh, that is complimentary and just open for all. We're talking Independence Day in Boston tonight with David O'Donnell. Mary Ellen, I know that you had some questions about Paul Revere. So why don't you ask, ask him about that? Oh, Never yes. <laughs> One if by land and two if by sea. Can people explore the iconic Old North Church to learn the true story behind Paul Revere's ride that helped launch yeah, the American totally. Revolution? What are some of the events being held there? Sure, sure. Well, there's the crypts, the tombs, and the bottom of the Old North that are, are, are really a testament to that landmark as um, you know, a, a building that has stood for, for over 300 years. And Old North has, has really embraced the opportunity to share that history with a contemporary audience as well. So, of course, Old North Church and the Paul Revere House are on, on the Freedom Trail. I um, mean, as, as we like to say, Mary Ellen, fun if by land and fun if by sea here in Boston. That's a, a slogan that we adopted many years ago to kind of play off of that one if by land, one if by sea. Uh, <laughs> but as you walk through the Freedom Trail, you, you come to the North End, and, and both the Paul Revere House and the Old North Church are there and very accessible with tours, guided tours, free docent tours. Um, you know, o Old North, the foundation, has, has to some extent reimagined itself over the last year and a half and become known as Old North Illuminated, which, you know, of course, they're trying to lean into that brand of the Lanterns and the Lantern Festival and what people, even school children, think of when they think of Paul Revere's ride and the Lanterns, but for them, it's about illuminating the rich his, history, the, the, illuminating the rich history of that parish and the parishioners um, and the role that that building and those folks that are part of that area have played throughout um, Boston's century-old history. 
So it, it is something, again, that's, that's quite accessible, like most of the Freedom Trail is. Um, and they really take seriously not only, um, you know, the cherished tales, but, but having contemporary reinterrogations of those figures, such as Paul Revere and the role they played in the American Revolution, and how they, how they still matter in terms of how we tell stories about American history now um, in 2023 uh, as we approach the 250th anniversary of things like the Tea Party and things like the Battle of Bunker Hill, Lexington and Concord, and, of course, a few years out of the, the, the 250th of the, of the nation itself. And you mentioned the Boston Tea Party. What's happening at the Old South Meeting House? Isn't that where the Tea Party began? Yeah. So and as Dan mentioned, uh, we had an opportunity to talk about that before, which, by the way, congratulations, 509 episodes, 12th year. It's such a pleasure to be on with you guys talking about all these, <laughs> you know, very topical but historical um, aspects of Boston. Like we say in Boston, it's not all a history. It's that we're always making history, right? It's almost like we have a, a tradition of innovation you know, a couple of years ago, the Old South Meeting House and the Old State House merged into a new organization called Revolutionary Spaces. And, of course, the Old South Meeting House is, is, is very critical to Boston's history and played an integral role in what is known as the Boston Tea Party, right? Because on that, that night, that, that fateful day and night of December 16th, 1773, that was a gathering place for, for, for colonists. And as, as fervor was growing for um, you know, resentment against the crown and, and, and taxation and whatnot, especially tax on tea, that's where colonists would gather at the Old South Meeting House. Um, and that's where they would speak openly, great, great forum for civic engagement. Um, in those days, definitely uh, a platform or forum to, to air grievances, certainly. So what we reenact every year, and it hasn't happened for a couple of years because it was interrupted by the pandemic, and then we kind of collectively decided to focus on the 250th. But what that reenactment entails is first, that town, hall, that town hall meeting, Marianne, that, that would have happened or did happen at the Old South Meeting House, there's a reenactment of that, and then there's a procession, just like the colonists would have done, down to Griffin's Wharf, down to what we now call Four Point Channel, down to where the Boston Tea Party Ship Museum is located, really reenacting precisely what would have occurred in 1773 in terms of people departing from that one building, that one cherished landmark, the Old South Meeting House, and processing down towards Griffin's Wharf. So they're very much a part of the 250th celebration as well. And there's been a great partnership and collaboration between Revolutionary Spaces and the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum to really make sure every year, but particularly this year, uh, that the commemoration and, and the big anniversary is really celebrated in style. We're talking Independence Day in Boston with Dave O'Donnell of Meet Boston. The Boston Lighthouse Tour sounds really exciting. Besides close-up views of Boston Light, America's first light station, aren't there also other lighthouses to see? Yeah, there are. In fact, I was just I just today took a ferry uh, from Boston to, to Provincetown, and there's a number of lights that you can see. Graves Light is another one, Dan, um, as you make your way out from out of Boston Harbor, and then you know if you were to proceed all the way out to to, to tip of Cape Cod. Boston Light, of course, is quite historic. You know, there's the great story of the the lightkeeper there. Um, you can do tours, um, even if you don't, you know, disembark the boat and go see the lighthouse. There are a lot of uh, boat cruises, including, you know, Boston Harbor City cruises, for example, will get you out there and tell you the history um, of, of what, the, what the lighthouse means for Boston Harbor, but also really regale um, visitors or anyone who chooses to take that tour about the history of lighthouses and their significance in terms of American maritime history um, and how they're now these um, you know, landmarks that we've in many, in many ways uh, looked to as a, a romanticized version of what, what nautical navigation used to be. 
but yeah, we've got a, 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 about a handful, you know, within or slightly outside of the, the Boston Harbor area. And, you know, if you go out and you visit Boston Light or visit the Boston Harbor Islands, um, most aren't as accessible as Boston Light, but you can see them as this kind of representation, um, you know, of, of, of when, when that era existed and how critical it was for, for a port city like Boston um, to have this, this mechanism of navigation. For those who like to experience Boston's world-famous harbor by boat, aren't there historic harbor cruises daily from June 30th to July 4th where visitors can hear tales of the Revolutionary War and local legends of the sea as they spot the landmarks? Yes, absolutely. So, again, one of the companies is Boston Harbor City Cruises, but there's great, you know, tours that people can do on different, all kinds of different vessels. You know, there's, there's, there's ferries that go right within the Inner Harbor over to the USS Constitution, there's ferries, like I mentioned, that will go up to the Harbor Islands. There's schooner sails, you know, with companies like, um, you know, Adirondack 3 and, and the Roseway. And, you know, as I mentioned, you take ferries further out with companies like Bay State Cruises. So we, we like to really pride ourselves on the fact that um, the water and on-the-water experiences are also very plenty and accessible. And whether you want to go for a, a dinner cruise, a sunset cruise, a, light, a, a lighthouse cruise, um, or something um, – more exciting and invigorating, like a, like a Godzilla tour. Um, you also can do things that are, are much more just physically recreational, paddle boating, kayaking. You can rent a boat. Um, so these are all things, you know, you can sail on the Charles River. We really try to celebrate the fact that our iconic waterways, which are very much associated with Boston and its identity, are also welcoming. And if you want to get on the water, either just to relax and watch the sun go down, or to get some recreation, these things are all on the table here in Boston um, and from the Cambridge side of the river as well, I should note. You mentioned the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, which kicks off a celebration with a turnaround cruise through Boston Harbor, capped by a 21-gun salute and a free huzzah salute to service block party. Can visitors hitch a ride? Uh, they, don't, they don't jump on the boat itself, but there are cruises uh, – including those with some of the companies, uh, companies I just mentioned, that people can ride upon and get quite close to the ship itself. Uh, the Constitution, of course, is the oldest commissioned Navy ship uh, in the United States, and it, it, is, it is a great tradition. It's, it, it departs, you know, its birth in the Navy Yard around 11 or so, maybe a bit before that. I think the 21-gun salute out near Fort Independence occurs around 1130, Dan. Uh, but, again, it's, it's one of the, the, the more iconic elements of Harbor Fest that, this ship that is docked for, um, you know, essentially the entire year, uh, she still operates. And on the 4th of July, we're able to, to, to witness that and see that she operates and see this, this turnaround and the 21-gun salute. And you have so many tremendous vantage points throughout, uh, you know, the areas of the North End, the waterfront, and the seaport area where people, if they don't go out on the water to see it, within an area where they can clearly see the ship go out, and, you know, our shores are just teeming with visitors and locals alike um, that really like to take in, um, you know, that really spectacular and special, um, you know, bear witness to that turnaround. And it, it, it really is quite tremendous and special. And for listeners who don't know, 21-gun salute is because if you add up the four numbers of 1776, 1776, it adds up to 21. That's where that came from. So in case you didn't oh. know, that's what that's where it came from. And continuing on the subject of cruises, aren't there also fireworks cruises on a 1920-style commuter yacht and an 80-foot schooner on the 1st of July? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. So that would be um, that what I was referring to is the J- July 1st, um, the Saturday, and that the fireworks themselves are at 915. Uh, but those boat tours are referred to would all leave closer to eight o'clock. Um, and really it's, it's just, it's such a amazing way to position yourself out in the Harbor on one of these, you know, beautiful vessels, um, you know, at a safe distance, of course, still from the fireworks themselves. Uh, but to have that vantage point on the water uh, is, is really something that if you have the opportunity to ever do it, um, it's really quite a, quite a unique way to see the fireworks. Um, and again, it's like we're, we're just very proud of the fact that we have fireworks on two different days, including on the Saturday in the harbor, right? So to your point, your question, like, yes, there are a couple different ways in which people can go out and see them. Um, we have all the various options. It's, you can find it both on the Harbor Fest page, but also um, at meetboston.com. And you knew I was going to ask this one, Dave. What's going on at Fenway Park for Independence Day? <laughs> I suspected you might ask. You know, Sox are doing pretty good up until the last 24 hours, and, I, and then they lost a couple. So right back, right back in the basement of the AL East. But what are you going to do? Um, they actually <laughs> come home that day, I believe. So they do play on the fourth against Texas. So Texas is, is really, really good this year. So um, the ballpark on the fence, the oldest ballpark in Major League Baseball. Uh, will be alive with activity that day. Um, and hopefully by that time, the Sox are still a little bit over 500, maybe maybe more. Maybe they'll have climbed up back into a wild card position. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I kid kind of because, you know, going to Fenway Park and seeing a Red Sox game is something that, it, in my opinion, and of course I'm biased, uh, is a regular experience, right? Even for someone who's a baseball fan and who goes on these baseball odysseys across the country to see ballpark after ballpark, you know, an experience at Fenway is unlike any other. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've made some really excellent upgrades and enhancements to the ballpark over the past decade or two. But the fact is you still sit in this resonant space where you can feel, you know, where Pesky and Yaz and Williams and Cy Young, Babe Ruth played. Um, recently, you know, Pedro and Big Poppy. Um, and, you know, what's better than that? Fourth of July in Fenway Park. So they'll be there. They'll be playing, and they'll be playing a very, very, very good Texas Rangers team. And I've got to compliment the Red Sox for signing Masataka Yoshida, who I think is going to be the American League Rookie of the Year if he keeps playing the way he is. Yeah, he's been great. He's been very consistent. I think it's it's really tough for any player to come over um, and, and really acclimate to how, how just just the grind of 162 games in in, in, the, in Major League Baseball. But yeah, he's been um, he's been a great signing for them, and I, I think you're probably right. He's he's right up there with anyone else that might be competing for that award. And I'll probably go to the All Star game too. So, congratulations for we'll that. We'll see. We'll see. I really want. The, I, I I'm hoping someone can host another All Star game soon. They had that very uh, spectacular version back in 1999, and hopefully we'll have another one soon. I was there in '99. I really enjoyed it. Fenway Park was fabulous. Oh, it was electric that night. I wasn't there, but I remember watching it. It must have been a crazy thing for you to take in. It was fantastic. Ted Williams was there, and all the current All-Stars were paying homage to him. He was in a wheelchair. It was just great to see him. That's right. I remember that. I remember that. I want to tell our listeners, you're listening to Travel It's Radio with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee. Listen to us on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com 
or check out the archive show anytime on Facebook. And tonight, we're talking Independence Day in Boston with David O'Donnell. Mary Ellen, I know you want to ask David about the Boston Seaport District and what's going on. Yeah, I understand there's so much to see in the Boston Seaport District. District. We hear the area features many newly constructed buildings as well as the classic structures that originally comprised Boston's waterfront community. Dave, tell us about that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's really uh, an exciting area, Mary Ellen, that, that's very much emblematic of Boston itself, right? And I say that because of what you just referred to. It's a uh, it's a it's, it's a mix and a blending of, of Boston's history, right? So there's there's part of the original waterfront and shoreline there, you know, that dates back almost 400 years in terms of when it was was settled as Boston as it is now. And then, you know, in the 19th century, there was a very vibrant, uh, you know, network of, um, you know, artists there, but also the emergence of kind of the, the, the textile era created this kind of warehouse district of Boston um, that is still there as well. And then you have, also in what we call the Seaport District, really the most emerging kind of scintillating modern aspect of Boston, right? You know, Boston is thought of as this historic city, and we are, uh, where a lot of neighborhoods are historic neighborhoods, the North End, the South End, Beacon Hill, even the Back Bay, right? You know, that's all landfill from the 19th century. The Seaport stands out because it is where we have built a new neighborhood that still touches on of, of older Boston, right? Like I mentioned, the original shoreline in the 19th century warehouse district that still stands. So in terms of adding elements of new restaurant and retail experiences, amazing museum experiences, right? The Institute of Contemporary Art is there. And the channel, Fort Point Channel, that you cross to get into the seaport, um, that's where the Boston Sea Party Ships and Museum are. And there's great hotel inventory in the seaport. If you wanted to stay there, there's the spectacular new Omni Seaport. There's the Envoy. There's the hotel. So there's great overnight and lodging experiences there. Um, there's great public art there. There's great food there. There's great seasonal activations in all seats. You know, if you come in the winter, there's snowport there where you can do things like, you know, a holiday market or, curl, or, or uh, you know, curling. If you go in the summer, it's more uh, music and concert activations and pop-up markets and, 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 you know, beer gardens and, and things of that nature. So when people think of Boston and they don't think they know we're historic, that we have these sort of areas of, of kind of activation and, and, and kind of more contemporary and cosmopolitan experiences, the seaport really stands out as that new aspect of Boston that, that captures that kind of experience. Uh, but at the same time, you're so close to other areas or aspects of Boston history. I mean, the seaport is technically part of South Boston. And South Boston is traditionally thought of as a very different type of neighborhood than what seaport itself offers. So it's kind of a microcosm for Boston itself, Mary Ellen, that, like, it's, it's, it's new, it's forward-thinking, it's innovative, but it's surrounded by uh, aspects of our history that kind of inform the way we've built that, that area of town. Um, a lot of startups there, uh, a lot of innovation happening in that area as well. Now, Dave, you were talking about the historic Freedom Trail and the tours that are led by 18th century costume guides. But for those who like a pint of ale with their history, we understand that there's a Boston history pub crawl along the Freedom Trail that leads from Faneuil Hall Square. Where does that yeah. go and how do we sign up? 
so you could also do that through the Freedom Trail Foundation if you'd like, although there's a couple of different, um, you know, historic pub crawls that exist now or colonial pub crawls. But there are a lot of famous taverns right in that area of Daniel Hall. So you've got and which is the oldest tavern in the United States. You've got the Green Dragon Tavern, which is where, you know, a lot of the revolutionary figures would have met. It's, it's not actually the original location, which would have been up over close to the old state house, but it is still a historic location in itself where the Green Dragon Tavern is right now. And it really plays homage or pays homage, excuse me, to those figures and the sort of conversations that they would have convened back in the, the late 18th century. The Union Oyster House, which is not part of most of the pub crawls, but is right in the same stretch of these taverns where this this crawl does go. Um, I'm always encouraging folks to pop in to the Oyster House. I mean, whether you're checking out the Oyster Bar or sitting at the JFK booth or going into the Freedom Trail room there or their, their very, um, you know, welcoming bar, you know, there's just this stretch of really old Boston right there. Um, and that pub crawl, that colonial pub crawl goes right through many of those, those haunts. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, right, because you get a chance to, you know, to have some fun, to be regaled a little bit, and maybe to, to, to unwind and relax a little bit as you're taking in some of these stories um, that really uh, are, are fundamental to the foundation of the United States. Well, Mary Ellen, while you're doing the pub crawl, I'm going to do Chowderfest. So, Dave, tell us about Chowderfest. <laughs> yeah, Chowderfest. Chatter, <laughs> Chatterfest is a great tradition as well. Uh, this year it is on July 3rd. It's at, it's at 2 p.m. And, you know, Boston, we've got a great food scene here, and that's something else that I'm always trying to say, Dan, is that, you know, we're, we, we're so much more than just chowder and lobster rolls. But, man, we do chowder and lobster rolls really, really well, too. So Chatterfest, again, is one of these just storied, iconic traditions associated with Harbor Fest, And that also is, is taking place in the downtown crossing area. So um, absolutely, if you have a hankering or even if you just want to try chowder, uh, what, what better place and time than, than Boston during Harbor Fest? So, again, that would be on July 3rd in the afternoon, kicking off around 2 p.m. or so. And with time running out, we have to talk about the Boston Pops' free July 4th concert in the evening. attracts more than a million spectators plus a national TV audience to listen to the rousing music. Who are some of the special guests performing this year? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and they say over a quarter of a million folks go. This year it's in, in Vogue, um, which is just, they, we always get excellent, that, that are just tremendous like that. And, um, Mandy Gonzalez, famous for her, her Broadway roles, including things like uh, Wicked and Hamilton. So, and of course, it's Keith Lockhart and the Boston Pops, right? And again, like I, I kind of expressed it when I was talking about going to a Sox game on July 4th, but what's, what's more Americana than that, you know, being on the Esplanade, and seeing the Boston Pops and Keith Lockhart, you know, joined by guests like in Vogue and Manning Gonzalez, uh, really, really carrying out, you know, a tradition unlike any other um, and something that, again, like you mentioned, hundreds of thousands of people go to. Um, it's also streamed, of course, uh, but it's, it's, it's an experience unlike any other. Dave, there's so many other things we love about Boston, from the swan boats in Boston Common to the old-time trolley cars, the JFK Presidential Museum, and, of course, the aquarium. In the few minutes we have left, is there anything we haven't asked that you would like to squeeze in? Yeah, you know, one thing I would just say uh, about Boston is that, and I touched upon this a little bit when Mary Ellen was, talk, well, was asking about the seaport, but we really are, and I said it before, a, a destination where – is our tradition, right? We are thought of as this historical, um, you know, colonial town, and we are. 
But when you think of like thought leadership and, 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 and creating what's next in America and creating conversations around, you know, whether it's sustainability or accessibility or how we as a, you know, ocean adjacent historic city can talk about the future, whether that's through culture or music or food or our neighborhoods, you know, we're always trying to, do, to pioneer here in Boston. And we're 23 diverse neighborhoods. We're 23 neighborhoods where communities want to make sure that visitors know that as wonderful and as well known as that corridor between Fenway Park and Faneuil Hall and the Freedom Trail are, that beyond that, Boston exists in so many different places. And, and I would encourage folks, even when they're coming in for something as special as the 4th of July, and, you know, experiencing those areas, like I mentioned, the Freedom Trail, Fenway, Faneuil Hall. Okay, okay. okay Dave, I've got to interrupt you. Give us your website, please, so people can get more information. Boston.com and follow us on social at meet, at meet Boston USA. Okay, and unfortunately, we're out of time, and that's it for this edition of Travel Itch. Next week, same time, same station, we'll travel to Seattle to find out what's going on in the Emerald City before, during, and after the July 11th All Star Game. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, good night and stay safe. That's it, guys.